nerds, this is Nicole Desain. Welcome to Talent Tales, the show where I interview leaders who have brought design thinking to their talent and HR practices. In today's episode, we have a special guest on the show. I'm joined by Lynn Di Bonaventura, Director Le Learning and Growth, U.S. Business Operations. That's a title. That's a mouthful. At CSL Bearing. Welcome, Lynn. Thank you, Nicole. <laughs> I hope I didn't botch your title too much. No, actually, people botch my name, but not my title usually. That's perfect. Yeah, I pronounce it a little bit Italian, I think. So, like oh, well. Okay, so, Lynn, we always start with who are you and what's your story? Yeah, so my name's Linda Bonaventura, as Nicole mentioned. Um, who am I? Basically, I'm an HR talent professional who's also very ingrained in the business. Um, I spent the last 25 years in and out of talent management and talent development on a global scale. Um, and what do I stand for? Really, uh, my expertise is around leadership development um, and talent mobility within organizations. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about that today and, and a certain aspect of that. But that's really where I come from. Um, a little bit about me. I have uh, two kids. Uh, one is actually going to be a college grad soon mm -hmm. uh, and the other one's in high school. So uh, busy mom, busy family and busy, busy work life. Well, sounds right. <laughs> and what's your superpower? People always want to know what, yeah. what our guest superpowers are. Yeah, so I took a, a little bit of thought on this. Um, there's a lot of different things that that people say about this. Um, and I thought about my team most recently. Uh, one of my superpowers, if you could see this, is a heart. Um, and that's really around being an empathetic leader. Um, and I think that's part of what Nicole, you and I connected on, um, really around leading an organization and a team forward, but doing it through empathy, um, relationships and communication. I love that. That's a great superpower to have. And also a great segue into our conversation today, because today's Talent Tales episode will be a little bit different than what you listeners um, are used to, because it will be probably be more about questions and conversation than a lot of answers. Um, so I think, Lynn, let's start with how our stories intersected for the audience. So let's like rehash that a little yeah. bit. So I'll start. And then you can layer on. So, um, so in February, <clears throat> this is this is my part of the story. In February, um, my uh, cat Lily, who was my companion for fifteen years, died, um, and it was probably <laughs> I knew this would happen. Exactly. I'm gonna tear up. Um, I I did decide. I knew I would tear up in this conversation. Regardless, I decided to record this or have this conversation because I think it's good to role model especially for women um, but everybody really that it's okay to, to be vulnerable and especially when you've experienced grief and loss uh, and I know Lynn and you and I probably we grew up in corporate America when we were especially taught as women you do not cry in the workplace otherwise you're not being taken seriously right or you're not seen as professional and I I want to disrupt that a little bit so so anyway, so 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 she died, and um, it was probably one of the most profound losses I've had in my adult life to this date. And I was just, um, I pretty much could not, I could not function. Um, the only person I could talk to was my husband. Um, 
I think the only other outlet that I felt I had was writing for some reason. And there was no rational thought there. It came all from intuition. And so I have a LinkedIn newsletter <clears throat> that I publish every other week. And so my cat died on Tuesday and my newsletter was due the next Wednesday and um, the following day. And I could not, I just couldn't write. So I'm like, I'm not going to write anything. I'm also not a person who's very public with their private life normally, let alone on social media. But then I did decide for some reason, my intuition said you should write about it. So the only thing I wrote was my cat died. I'm, I don't have any words today. You know, my heart is broken. And I posted a picture of her. And what came next was, I, I think, you know, the joy amidst the grief I realized later on because the outpour of um, sympathy and empathy that I received was just incredible. And even though I couldn't respond to people one-on-one, -on -one, just to read the sheer volume of people sharing their stories, people remembering Lily, of people yeah. donating to animal welfare fair, um, organizations, sending me books and baskets. And those were friends and strangers alike. And it was just, overwhelming in a positive way amidst all the darkness to have that and then two weeks later my next newsletter was due and again I still I'm you know to that point I pretty much had just been crying and eating junk food and laying on the couch all day that's all I could do really I'm like what am I going to write about now and so the only thing that came to mind to me is that there has to be some greater purpose to this and what I started thinking about was, you know, I have the privilege and the luxury to take these two weeks to, because I literally couldn't. Um, and there's actually a phenomenon, it's called grief brain, where your brain literally can't work. And so I couldn't work. And um, this has to be for something I have to, you know, so I got curious. I wonder um, what is a, you know, caregiving and bereavement policy of companies these days. And I started by asking my husband and then I did some research. And short story, long story short, um, we are in a crisis around this. Our caregiving and bereavement policies are not as human-centered as they could be. We are in a caregiving crisis, both pay, paid care workers as well as those unpaid care workers who do care work in addition to their jobs, unpaid, right? Um, and then also our bereavement policies are not human-centered at all. You know, you might get two to five days, maybe, um, Usually it's for close family members and very few have pets included in it. So um, so I wrote about it. You know, I summarized the research and, and wrote about it and my perspective. And that's when you reached out to me. Okay. Can you share with me, Lynn, what made you reach out? What resonated with you? And then if you like, you know, share your story around yeah. this. Yeah, Nicole, I think your post was brave, first of all. Um, I think you see a lot of things on social media that, you know, it, it can get a lot of different responses, but the, the way you wrote that, the eloquence and the emotion in it and the, the thoughtfulness about the question, right. Um, really kind of made me pay attention and I read your newsletters all the time, but this one kind of stopped me, um, in, in a moment and I reached out and I think I, I can't remember exactly what the posting said, but was like, I had a similar situation. Um, I just want to let you know, you will get through this. It will be okay. And then when you're ready, I'd love to talk to you more about, you know, yes, the state of the world and, and the state of 
of HR policies around that. Um, and, and I think you responded right away. Um, at that point, you're like, I really want to talk to you, but I, you know, needed a little bit of time and space. And, and then we connected about a month ago or, or so. Um, but it really resonated with me. And I think there's a, a situation that a few years ago I went through. Uh, my mother was very ill. Um, she ended up having, you know, kind of getting into this health situation in a very dramatic way. And I was traveling globally at the time. Um, so I had gotten off a plane in Philadelphia airport and uh, got a call from one of her friends that she didn't show up for lunch and couldn't find her, right? Mm. For uh, She went missing for about three or four days. She had a, a, a certain medical issue. And uh, we found her about four days later, um, thank God. Um, uh, but it started, it was the beginning of, of the end for her. And it took about another year for her to truly pass away through all the medical issues. But from that moment that I got off the flight and, you know, uh, just had, you know, traveled for two weeks over in Europe uh, working and then showed up at work Monday, right? Um, you know, with not even knowing where she was at that point in time. Mm -hmm. From that point on, uh, took a little while to figure out what's going on, get a diagnosis, figure out what the care she needed, and then eventually get her into hospice care at the end of the year. Um, I had applied for family medical leave. I had done all of the normal paperwork and all of the processes, um, and it felt like I was doing as best I could to hold it together. Just yeah. like you know, when you were in your process, grief process. Mm -hmm. I had a little bit of a longer time than you did to to process everything. But um, upon her funeral, I was excited to get back into, you know, not that I left work, but I, I had brain fog. Um, it was very mm -hmm. difficult for me. There was a lot going on. And uh, to manage, you know, I had little kids at the time. I had an ailing mother. I was kind of in that sandwich generation. Um, and it was extremely difficult on our family. Um, you know, on our medical bills, just figuring out. And I was still holding it together at work and traveling. Mm -hmm. um, well. What was interesting, I think, was with my experience, uh, I, was, I was a top talent at the company. Um, and during that year, no indication that there was anything performance-wise that went wrong um, or that, that was unsatisfactory. However, we started getting different relationships and, you know, people that would support you or people that didn't. And, and you have that experience. On paper, everything was fine, but it wasn't enough. Um, the policies were very limited. I wasn't getting paid for FMLA. I was still holding down my job, trying not to take time off because although I maxed out on vacation, any additional time is not paid. Um, and that was not the situation that, that we could have dealt with at the time. Uh, when I got back to work, and I remember this very clearly, about a month later, uh, I had done a leadership class. We had finished you know, the week. We had VPs in the room. It was a standing ovation from that leadership class. I walked out of that class on cloud nine. It was a Thursday afternoon. And I got a call from our HR department to come in the next day. Oh. Uh -oh. Um, and they had restructured. So it was kind of an <laughs> aha moment of working so hard over the year to try to hold it together. And then at the last minute, whether that was performance related, reorganization related or not, 
um, it was very limited. And, and I ended up, you know, having uh, being laid off and taking some time. And I just remember when I got your LinkedIn message and, and we, we started talking how um, I did not have a leader that actually reached out and said during the entire year, what do you need? Mm-hmm. How can I help? I can't help at home, but how can I help? Like, what do you need? And they knew what was going on and and we had had a lot of conversations, but there really wasn't a level of empathy or support. Um, And then you look at these kind of very restrictive, um, almost compliant oriented HR policies, which is what they are, Um, but really no room, right? For exactly what you described in the beginning of the call. Uh, Very little grace between these policies and, and real life and what was happening. So, um, you know, when I reached out and we started talking, uh, a lot of that resonated with me when you said, I just can't even function. I don't even know where I am right now um, for any type of grief, any type of loss, any type of caregiver. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a space in between. I think that society post-COVID has learned to recognize, but I still don't quite think we're, th- we're there yet. First of all, thank you so much for sharing your story. I think that is brave as well. So thank you so much. And um, I, I got so much out of just that sharing. And that's why I thought it was really important that we started our conversation off with this, you know, because <clears throat> to your point, I don't think we know how to have these conversations at work. It's extremely difficult. Right? Because I think we have been taught also as HR people and as leaders in general, it's kind of a feeling neutral zone at work, right? You come to work and then you work and then you leave. Now, to your point, COVID has challenged that a little bit, but to a certain degree, that's still the case. And plus to talk about loss and grief is uh, kind of an uncomfortable topic. And I am the first to admit until Lily died, I tried to avoid death and at all costs. I was, I was one of those people. <laughs> so yeah. I, I, uh, yeah. and just because of this experience, have I just started to, to talk about it more and have realized how um, healing it is not just for me, but I think also for others and ultimately for our organizations and what a gap we have and how, how we are putting ourselves at a disservice as a company if we're not rethinking how we're talking about it and how we're mm, dealing with it. Dealing sounds yeah. kind of clinical, but um, let's say more embracing it, really, yeah. right? With allowing our, space for allowing it. Allowing space for it. I love that, how you said that. It's allowing right. space, right? Mm-hmm. I, I think our policies are kind of very rigid. They're, they're more from a... Um, not a high performing standpoint, they're more from a compliance standpoint. Like, you know, it doesn't matter where you are in the organization, these are the policies and, and this keeps people honest and it keeps them working and it, it covers the company's liability, which is absolutely fine, right? There's nothing wrong with that. Um, and they're, they're meant for a purpose. I think they're fairly outdated to a point, as you said um, earlier, they, they could use a little bit of updating um, in this day and age and, and the world we're dealing with now. I think even working from home versus being live in the office, et cetera, has changed the game. Some companies are evolving. Some companies are going back to law in person, mm-hmm. all of that stuff, right? All mm-hmm. of those conditions. Um, 
create experiences and, and yeah. death is part of a journey, right? Um, yeah. we, it will impact us all at one point in time or another through family, friends, or, or personally. And, um, and I don't think those policies allow for space. So on that, a little bit, right? But not enough in some cases. Right. This was the, yeah. you know, I, I had a very unique case. I was one of those cases you see on TV where it's like the elderly person went missing for days and then, you know, then ironically showed up and, and here you are, but then it started a whole cascade of, of caretaking, um, yeah. kind of abruptly. So we're all, everybody has their story. Um, yeah. and, and that's one way to look at it. Everybody has their story. Here's the policy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Right. So let's do the other yeah. side of it. Right. Yeah. So let's explore this a little bit. And and we said at the beginning, we might not have mm-hmm. the answers. We have more questions. But mm-hmm. so maybe let's let's talk a little bit about HR policies around caregiving and bereavement. And I just want to start with one observation, um, an initial observation. Um, maybe we can start there and then go from there. Is that it seems so as I was writing this article, I was writing about what we, we, I think we need to look at caregiving scenarios that our employees might um, experience as they're, you know, part of our company through their tenure with our company, right? And there's varying caregiving scenarios, child care, you know, elder care, sick care. And some of those care scenarios, and tragically, might lead to the loss of a loved one, right? And I think these... Mm, the policies around it or how we view it is very segregated. We don't look at the scenario and the scenario that might likely lead to bereavement as well and look at it holistically. But when I did a lot of research, there is, in those scenarios, there is what's called anticipatory grief involved, which already has an impact, plus all the logistics, all the medical support, all the, right, all of that. So I think people need support there. And then as they transition to the last part, and I feel like policies are disjointed to begin with. What are your thoughts on that? That we're not, that we're we're having the segregation and not a unified look at at those two experiences. Yeah, I agree. I think there's, um, you know, I think the policies, as I said, are a little bit outdated in a way, um, in the fact that they're very high level, very generic, very kind of black and white. Um, And by the time you get through that caretaking, you get through FMLA, whether you take three months, three days, interim or or full time, and then you get to, there's a transition and a journey that everybody's going to go through, whether it's their own care, whether it's the care for a loved one, or, you know, for any, any kind of situation that there's a point in time where that either moves on in one way or another, right? Death could be one of those ways. Getting back to work and having that family member recover mm-hmm. um, could be another. Um, but I think organizations look at it as a point in time. And the journey part is is left behind. And from a talent mm-hmm. perspective, which is really where my expertise is, yeah. not necessarily in the, in the policy HR side, but on the talent mm-hmm. perspective, we're losing a lot as organizations by not looking at that as a journey and as a, a, a cycle, but as a point in time. Um, and that's actually a good point. The Why should organizations care if you hinted at it? Attrition is one, productivity to be is one, right? If I force somebody to come back to work after two days when they lost somebody, I mean, 
I could not have worked. You're just there in body. You're not there. So in it's brain. like a check box. You know, yeah. we told people it's a butt in a seat. You need to be who here. doesn't do anything. Exactly. Right. So it's ludicrous from that. So attrition, productivity, well-being. You know, the U.S. Surgeon General has you know yeah. called out well-being as a, a as a crisis in the U.S. right now. And so if this is not included in your well-being policies or strategy. I think that's a miss. And then, and you hinted at it, employee experience is, is, is another consideration, right? It impacts the employee yeah. experience. Are, are there any other impacts to the organization that you think, why should companies care about caring? <laughs> In essence, should they care about I, caring? I think there's a little bit around um overall talent engagement and especially Mm. in this environment in this day and age where there's still a talent war going on um you know i think you take employees that are even top talent there's no segregation regarding the laws nor nor necessarily should there be but um to your point if you're not seeing an employee through that either from a leadership standpoint from a a general compassion standpoint, um, knowing that there will be a cycle where they're going to have to come out of this, right? Whatever situation they're in, um, their careers are disrupted personally Mm -hmm. on the individual level, but more importantly, the ROI, the return, the, you know, that person leaves, that person gets laid off, the ability to replace that person with their institutional knowledge and, and their engagement, um, you have much more engaged employees when you help them through these journeys um, to get past and move forward. I know very few people in any company I've ever worked with that just wants to, you know, again, you have the poor performers and, and the ones that aren't engaged, but think about how engaged they would be if they had support, mm-hmm. um, if they had a good leader who had some empathy, but then also draw, drew clear boundaries, right, on, on the work. Mm-hmm. Um, then the policies would be a backup, right? Yeah. The policies are there as as policies. They're there to protect the overall, the general. But having empathetic leadership, and I think we see Simon Sinek and all the all the um, the social media posts around empathy and leadership. That's really what these examples bring forward. Um, yeah, and there's yeah, a reason good. for it. Yeah. So so let's actually let's talk about the role of the leader. In yeah. supporting an employee's journey through caregiving and bereavement. What are your thoughts on that? You mentioned the leader as key in this process I so often. So already. I think uh, we've I've done a, a few leadership courses where I work today, and, and there's one thing that we we do in this class, which I've found really insightful. I don't have any research at this point in time, but Nicole, you and I were talking about this. We thought it would be interesting to bring up. Uh, we do a leadership uh, in the first module of this training course, we do a leadership uh chapter that talks about your footprint and it, and we have them kind of the participants rate and and they draw a visual on this you know a clear line about their te- last 10 years and then the highs and lows of their career pathing right uh what's interesting is that the fr- the last three classes that we've run this with we've had mainly women stand up and when they say they're high it's you know, somebody asked them to take a new role. They got promoted into this. They uh, they were finished a project that they were highly engaged in. A lot, we've all had lows, right? There's different reasons for that. My example was one of them. It was, it went from career high, top talent, ready for promotion to a VP level down to like, I just got laid off and there really wasn't a reason for it, except for the fact that I had a, a really challenging personal year. Um, 
but when you look at this leader foot, footprint and to the caregiving side, women who um, have children have in, the, in this class alone, small, very population, about 30 people, the women have all said, had children, career dropped. None of the men in the class said that. Had my first child, my career, not, not, none at all. Uh, took care of an ailing parent, parent, women on the bottom. We tend to be the caregivers. I'm not saying that's 100% of the time, but in professional careers, we are the caretakers. And then when you have to deal with this experience and you're having either taking care of yourself through childbirth or taking care of a mother, a family member or anybody um, through that, your career drops. You, you definitely have to make up traction um, from that. And it was really an aha moment that I had during you know, facilitating this session and hearing the stories of, of the, my colleagues that have had these experiences and it was all around caretaking. Uh, you know, your career drops for a minute, you might've switched jobs, you didn't get a promotion that you wanted. Those things were fairly relative. What really brought that the, these graphs to the bottom ranking was a caretaking role. Wow. And, uh, and you think about it and I think we're doing a disjustice to some of these people. Um, but again, policy aside, we're not necessarily gonna change the system overnight, mm -hmm. um, nor do we have the answers. What I found was, uh, and in a, in a situation where I had a, a staff member out for almost a year, we could have, according to the policy, let her go um, and, and replaced her. We tried to get a couple other resources. What I realized was because of my own experience as a leader with the lack of empathy that I had, um, applying empathy and allowing her space and yet keeping her focused while she was at work um, mm -hmm. was probably the most important thing to the recovery of not only that individual, but of the department. So it was temporarily a little challenging um, and, and I had to pick up some of that workload, um, but that employee came back. She came back stronger than ever. She came back with high reviews within the first six months to a year, and she's back better than she was, you know, before she left, before her illness. So it's, you know, but she had space to do it. Mm -hmm. um, and, and she felt that you trusted her and she felt she supported felt I trusted probably, her and right? And she felt valued, you know, we don't, valued, we don't spend exactly. more of our time at work than we do yes. home to not provide value. Yeah. Um, and to not, not feel as if we are appreciated and valued. And I think that was... That was an, kind of a 360 to the story I told earlier yeah. to say as a leader, I didn't want to be the kind that I had going through that experience. Um, we had to find a way. Um, and we knew the policies were on the, you know, the one side of it. We could adhere to the policies. I also knew over indexing myself to, to supplement an employee was the opposite side of that. So as leaders, I think there's a huge amount of ability and autonomy that we have with our team members who are experiencing this to just have a little bit, I'm not saying sympathy, that's different, empathy around compassion and allowing that person to have some space and trusting them. Mm -hmm. trusting I love that. Yeah. And setting boundaries is really important in these times. I love that also how you shared that 
that pilot um, example of your leadership class because it I shows... I want to do some research on it, Nicole. It was right. amazing. I mean, for one, the gender, and there's research around that, that most caretakers are women. Mm -hmm. uh, the unpaid caretakers that I quoted yeah. before, I think there's a BCG study that um, mostly women. So that's backed by, you know, quantitative research. Um, so that's an interesting thing. So the, the question is, how can we, you know, focus on that segment specifically, maybe because they're under supported right now. Yeah. Um, secondly, what I thought was interesting, the differentiation that you made between the leader going through caregiving and loss and what it does to them, right? And and then transforming their own experience and grief possibly to make, to create a better environment for their employees who go through, through that. And I think you modeled that. So I think it's kind of interesting to look at these both sides. I, as a leader, yeah. might and will experience that. What do I do? How do I take care of myself? And then how do I model that almost also for my employees and then support them through it? So I think, I think you, you've given us so many great insights already where we can start. Uh, on this journey. So you said there's probably more questions than there are answers right now. <laughs> yep, but inspiration. I think You're you've right. given you've given right. some really good inspirational um, insights, you know, Thank more you. questions, but also I think good starting points for companies mm -hmm. to think about. So I thank you so much for that. And I so I always close these conversations with a surprise quote for my guest. Are you ready? Yeah. <laughs> okay, <laughs> quote. We know that understanding our suffering gives rise to compassion, not only for ourselves, but also for others. And we know that compassion is essential for joy and happiness to be possible." Unquote. Thich Nhat Hanh. Beautiful. Well, I am glad I found that in you, Nicole, as well, just from a random LinkedIn chat. <laughs> 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 it's been a wonderful experience. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing and um, for this really candid and impactful conversation. Thank you so much. And thanks, everybody. See you at a future Talent Tale.